there. Welcome to the Raised by Whoops Fake Radio Show. This is Andrew with my partner Glenn in Canada. I should say my partner Glenn is in Canada and with him I make this show. I'm in California and I got a guest for you today. Her name is Mary Cobb. She's an actress, a fellow student at the Voice One School for Voiceover Weirdos where I currently am spending time and money. And yeah, uh, I met her, sort of met her in Zoom classes a while back and wanted to talk to her and waited until kind of the last minute in one of our last classes together and asked if she would do this. And amazingly, she said yes. And uh, we had a great chat. I had a really good time talking to her. And then, of course, after the fact, I did some Googling and, um, you know, you know that difference between someone being humble, like, you know, actually being humble and someone acting humble. Um, yeah, Mary, I think is just humble. I think she's just a humble person. She's like, yeah, I've been in some, had some good roles. I've been in some movies, some TV. She's done some good stuff, man. I saw her IMDB page. Is that what it is? IMDB. Yeah. She's got some credits, bona fides, bona, bona fides. How do you say that? Anyway. Yeah. She's, uh, she's done some good stuff. And has her head screwed on straight, so far as I can tell. And uh, we talked a bunch about her grandma in this episode. And she sounds amazing. You're going to hear about her. If you're interested in um, the currently published book that we're going to reference, there is a link on our website to her book, Design and Sign, Peggy Cobb. Uh, yeah, that's Raised by Whoops. Go to the episodes page and and click on uh, click on that link so you can you can buy that book. It's like eight bucks, totally worth it. I just ordered a copy, uh, and I don't even have any kids or draw. I just wanted around my life because, well, you'll hear because Peggy Cobb sounds cool. You can uh, buy shirts and shit on our website if you want to. It's fine if you don't. I like them, and uh, some other people are liking them. We've actually gotten some orders, which is awesome. So thanks. Uh, the number one seller right now is the shirt with Pele, our dog, on it. Super cool. Stay tuned after the end of the interview. Um, I've got a special gift for you. Thanks to Mary, our guest, who's coming up right now. Uh, her her grandma reads a really lovely little poem. I say reads. She recites it from memory, which to me is always cool, but it's especially cool when it's done by someone who is 108 years old. So stay tuned for that special recital at the end of the program. And without any further ado, I give you our guest today, Mary Cobb. Mary Cobb, thank you so much. I'm very uh, delighted to to be in a Zoom chat with you. Uh, That's how they do these days. That's the modern way. It's the modern way. It's so (laughs) dadgum weird. I mean, we've gone through, I don't know. It's actually not bad. Ten minutes of weirdness. Yeah. It's pretty quick. It happens, yeah. And honestly, it gets less and less weird as the years go by, and we're still on Zoom. (laughs) And we're still, yeah. I know. We are. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm certainly grateful for it. This is kind of cool. I mean, you're, you're, where are you actually? Yeah, so what? I'm in Oakland. You're in I'm Oakland. On the, yeah, okay. in the East Bay. All right, we're close. I'm in, I'm in the North Bay, uh, Marin County, which, yeah. <laughs> Beautiful. Oh my God, it's so pretty. I, I don't feel like I'm supposed to be here. That makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if everybody in Marin feels that way. Uh, there's definitely some that don't for sure feel that way. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I just come for the visits, for the hiking trails. Yeah. I might not have ever met anybody that actually lives in Marin. <laughs> yes, it's certainly possible. No, it's it's beautiful, man. I've, I don't want to crap on it too much, but it, yeah, it's amazing. It is. I feel very fortunate to be here. So um, I'll, I'll, we'll go back. Um, so <laughs> I know almost <laughs> nothing about you other than what I've been able to glean through. Um, just I think I'll explain this in the intro, but like you and I know sort of, know is a strong word. You and I are familiar with one another through uh, our voiceover training. And Mm -hmm. the three things that I kind of gathered from you is, one, you have cool headphones. Uh, (laughs) Thank you. You have really awesome hair. And you have have an acting background. And that's all I kind of know about you. And you're good at this. Like, you're kind of naturally good at the the voiceover thing already, which it's like you and Carlton. In class? Oh, oh my God. He's great. Like, he's yeah. amazing. You guys are so, so good. Um, anyhow, so, yeah, that's all I know about you. So, I, when, you know, we were getting towards the end of class, I, I was like, well, I, I'll just go ahead and ask her now. Because if I had asked you in the middle of classes and you said no, then you'd be like, oh, God, it's just. I still have to say this guy for the rest of class. Oh, my God. Is he going to bring it up guy. again? <laughs> yeah, don't bring it up anymore. But so now I'm glad you said yes, because I think we actually do still have some classes together. <laughs> Oh, I'm sure. I'm doing the whole core curriculum. Oh, you're do- okay, good, good. I mean, that's the thing. Like, came into this like total novice, just like super duper interested in the medium. Yeah. But I feel like you've been working in this medium, so it's it's interesting, you know, that you say you're uh, coming at it from a different angle. But I feel like you're way more experienced in this world than I am. Well, I mean, I, I have experience with the fake radio show, which is. Um, <laughs> Any, you'll realize soon anyone can do it. You're you're already doing it right now. This is like this is half of it right now. Doing a doing a podcast is not not difficult stuff. But what made me want to chat with you, other than like you're you just seemed I thought you'd had experience in this. I thought you knew what you're doing, and maybe that comes from acting. Mm-hmm. And um, in in learning this craft, I'm having to I'm taking the character classes. Oh, cool. And they've really they're like. I've gotten the note many times that I should start taking improv classes and start trying because I have no ambition to act or do any of that sort of stuff. So I'm really keen to talk to an actor and that's you. You, I mean, I don't know what your acting background is, <laughs> but I know that you have training. I can tell, I mean, just sort of tell it because you're yeah. able to dial into a, a character, even in the the narration and the um, commercial stuff that we're doing. So um, I want to talk about that and we'll get there. But kind of, where are you from? Are you are you a Bay Area person or no? Oh, interesting. I almost want to be like, where do you think I'm from? <laughs> yeah. I wonder if you can tell. Do you have any guesses? What I mean, are you a Midwestern person or an East Coast oh, person? Oh, uh, very nice. I, I consider it half and half. I'm really okay. not, though. I'm from Atlanta, Georgia, originally. Oh, okay. Uh, and went to school in New Orleans. I so spent a lot of time there. But no my grandmother is from the Midwest and okay. has one of those really like, you know, they call them soda pops and we get the ice cream cones and it's, mm-hmm. you know, the whole thing. 
And we would go and spend our summers with all of my cousins from like Chicago and Mm -hmm. all these other places. So every time I came back from summer, I had a Midwestern accent (laughs) going on, which I'm sure just annoyed the hell out of people. It's like the Madonna effect where you're like, girl, that is not how you talk. But yeah, so I'm from Atlanta. I was okay. so I'm I'm raised by my dad's from Indiana and he's got that sort of Midwestern accent mm-hmm. and my mom's from Tennessee. Okay. So she's got the southern accent mm-hmm. and Atlanta was at least enough of a metropolis with mm-hmm. people not a lot, you know. It's a lot of people from other places because you have yeah. big industries like Coca-Cola and CNN and you know, the Weather Channel and all of these places. So I never really grew up uh, in the South that I think a lot of people think of, but I do find myself sliding into it, especially in our nighttime voiceover class. <laughs> it's yeah. like contacts come out, mm-hmm. jammies are on, and the Southern drawl starts to come out because I go to bed at 830. I'm like so tired. <laughs> oh, man. So you and I, by the sentence, we have more in common. Um, I'm also from the South. And, Are you? And spent my summers in the Midwest. I'm from Memphis, Tennessee. No way. I, I lived in New Orleans. My wife and I lived there for five years. Oh, my uh, God. Yeah. And I would go to Peru, Illinois for my summers. And I don't know that I came back with an accent, but I definitely, um, you know, I definitely had that influence around me. That kind of, oh, geez. You know, I had like, there was Michigan. Just so and, nice. Yeah. So Are you nice. fed? Are you fed? I'm going to give you something super passive aggressive to make you feel like shit about yourself, but it's going to sound real nice. It's going to sound really nice. That's right. And don't ever pay full price for anything. You always want to find the bargain. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. That's hilarious. That's so funny. It is funny. And and, uh, 830 is definitely bedtime. Mm -hmm. It's like prime sleeping time. So I feel you. That's that's kind of funny. That might be the West Coast thing in us, especially now. I don't know. I've not always been this way, especially not when I lived in New Orleans. (laughs) No, definitely not in New Orleans. I don't know that I ever went to sleep before 10 in New Orleans. That's when you go out. Yeah. You know, you get yourself a little disco nap and then you're. Exactly. When did, what years did you live in New Orleans? Uh, Let's see. I was the, so I went to college there um, uh, 2004. So I was there for Hurricane Katrina that interrupted my sophomore year, which is a huge interruption. Um, and so I went back once they let people back in, I went back for two semesters in a summer, but it was Mm -hmm. so odd in new Orleans. I'm not sure when you were there, but post Katrina immediately post Katrina was the strangest way to see that city and really heartbreaking. Yeah. And so I left and went back to Atlanta. I transferred schools Mm -hmm. and, went home because it was just a, a wild time to be there. When were you in New Orleans? Well, uh, we moved there in 2010, but I've been going since I was a kid. I mean, that was like, it was either you went to Florida yep. or you went to New Orleans for yep. fun. You know, and like mm-hmm. New Orleans, I mean, it was just, it was five and a half hours to get there from my house. And, oh, from Memphis, really? Uh, That's not yeah. that bad. No, it's not bad at all. And it, I mean, it's amazing. You're in another country in five and a half hours. I know. Isn't it wild? I, I went uh, for New Year's Eve right after Katrina. And um, uh-huh. you, know, you know who Arlo Guthrie is? You know who Woody Guthrie is? Yeah, I do. Okay, oh, so do I know who he is? Yes. Yeah. I thought you were referring to it as the name of a like a bar, bar in New Orleans, which <laughs> <I knew. laughs> would make sense. So, this, okay, yes. Uh-huh. This story, oddly enough, 
involves a bar and New Orleans. But uh, <laughs> I saw, so Arlo Guthrie wrote that song, uh, City of New Orleans. You know, it's about a train. Anyway, so there's the City of New Orleans train that goes from Chicago oh. all the way down to New Orleans. And uh, so I saw him play a show in Memphis and he was, the whole tour, he was raising money for Katrina victims. I was like, well, man, that's a cool thing. I'll go to, I'll go to New Orleans for New Year's and just spend money with whoever is there, you know, because that was not long after Katrina. And so I go and I see him play again. And Arlo Guthrie, I like him, man, but it's not like follow you around kind of music, you know. Right. Yeah. It's like, you know, it's not like a, some jam band or something, you know. Anyway, it was, it was fun. It was a good time. And I go have a drink at the uh, carousel bar in, uh, in the Montleon, you know, the mm-hmm. hotel. And Arlo Guthrie sits right next to me. Oh, my God. And I was like, hey, man, uh, can I buy you a drink? He's like, sure. He's drinking martinis. And we got shit-faced. I got of course so, you did on martinis. <laughs> so drunk with Arlo Guthrie. And we're like talking. Like I kind of cried a little. I'm a big Woody Guthrie fan. He was like telling me stories about his dad and we're laughing. Oh my it was God. amazing. Sorry, that was a tangent. I really No, <laughs> that that's like that is a great encapsulation of what a New, New Orleans, Orleans night is. Yeah. is. Yeah. New Orleans is the kind of place, and I, I bet Memphis is this way, although I've never been to Memphis. Mm-hmm. But you know, when you're in downtown or the French Quarter, you mm-hmm. know, Garden District, wherever you are, you can step outside, choose a direction, walk into a random hole in the wall, and see the best music yes. you've ever heard yes. everybody is having a good time uh, you know new orleans isn't self-conscious and i think no. that's what i really love about it mm-hmm. because people will get up and dance yeah. in the middle of a bar and not feel silly not feel mm-hmm. like everybody's looking at them it's like such a, a jovial thing mm-hmm. and yeah. yeah i've certainly had nights like that too yes. uh, many a wonderful Halloween yeah. and New Year's and just random yeah. Wednesdays, you know? Totally. totally. It's one of those places like the craziest party I've ever been to was in New Orleans. And it was like <laughs> the this older lesbian couple was throwing like a third birthday party for their second dog. It wasn't even like a, <laughs> not even like a banner year. There was two bands. I was like, I was doing barbecued oysters. I mean, it was like just so fun, you know? But yeah, it's that kind of place. Well, so which school, where were you? Tulane? So I actually, I went to Loyola. Loyola, um, nice. Yeah. Uh, my family has a long history down there. I I could have gone to Tulane, but um, it was like a deferred semester or something. So, yeah. oh, you know, start in the spring instead of the fall. And I'm like, oh, no, I want to start in the fall. Nice. And so I started at Loyola, and those two schools are directly next to each other in the Garden yeah. District. Yeah. Literally, they're neighbors. And so there's this whole thing where it's like, Loyola is like a way prettier looking school Tulane looks like medieval torture chamber kind of vibe it's just like (laughs) ugly huge stones you know stacked on one another whereas Loyola's got this like a Spanish Mediterranean like vibe and feel uh but yeah so there but there was a lot of intersecting between those two schools it was too um, fun I used to go play music with a guy who was in school there. I, I was trying to sell some amplifiers on on Craigslist, and this kid was in the uh, recording arts program. Oh yeah, Loyola. He's like, "Well, look, man, I don't have any money, but if you want to record some stuff, you can come into the studio." So we became friends, and I would just go to that amazing studio setup in Loyola, and just it was awesome. Like, such yeah, a nice that's school. so cool. Did yeah. you go down there for music? Did I? You said you were a musician. I feel like at one point. 
Uh, I definitely never said that. <laughs> oh, I thought you said that in the chat. Just Maybe. reading things. Uh, uh-uh. no, I never identify as a musician. I like the love music. I love playing music, but I, I would never identify as that on purpose. But uh, no, I, I, I just we went down there because we got great taste. The same thing that ended yeah. up us, us up in Marin. Um, but no, I, um, I worked in the music. I was working at House of Blues. Oh um, yeah, I'm sort of like in, involved in like. You know, local music and in and, and that scene, you know, it's a lot of, a lot of fun. That's so cool. Yeah. I, I, I love it. We, we lived on Daniel street, just like one block away from Napoleon. So we, you know, we were oh. in town, like that was home, you know? Yeah. 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 I, I haven't been back in a long time. I've only like, I think I've, I had a traveling summer once and we had 12 hours off in new Orleans and I was oh, like, nice. well, I've got 12 hours to hit all of my favorite places. <laughs> like, yeah. I guess this is what we're doing. We're, it's we're, so we're, different, though. It's way different. Were you an uptown person, or did you, would you go to the French Quarter? Would you? Oh, go we went to, to the French Quarter Marini? all the time. Yeah, French I Quarter all the time, and just a lot of like around the colleges. Because I mean, yeah. I was a college kid. Yeah, yeah. When I was there, um, yeah, I would say French Quarter, and just That's around cool. the school mainly. Yeah. But we would sometimes go out for dinners and try to like hit different neighborhoods, Treme and other places. What's that Christmas tree bar? Christmas bar. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's been there's so, so many long. crazy. There's yeah. people right now listening, screaming. Screaming, yeah. Like, that's the fucking Tushan So bar. obvious. How do you not remember? <laughs> anyway, well, so I, we won't talk about New Orleans all the time, I promise. I just, it's, when you said it, I mean, just everything you've said so far is like so hilariously resonant and, and similar <laughs> to my own experience. Um, so, all right, you, you're, you're from the South. Do you have, creative people in your family or is there a what it was well hang on what'd you go to school for why were you at Loyola acting yeah yeah okay I I knew for a long time I started uh well we'll get there but I started doing that when I was younger as a kid oh yeah so I'd like get pulled out of school because I booked a job or something nice. and so I'd go and like film a thing and I thought oh this is so exciting uh and then yeah I just wanted to I really I'm like I like learning so mm-hmm. you know I I sort of jumped in. I never thought that you could like major in something like that. That wasn't, right. uh, you know, a part what, what of what I knew was possible. What is that major? Is it you're majoring in acting or is it dramatic arts or what's Yeah. The, so at Loyola, I chose a double major, which is theater and communications. Theater and communications. Because okay. I wasn't sure if like broadcasting was a part of something that I could do. Because I'm sometimes the more like mundane reading a teleprompter stuff i like for some reason uh so clarity so i did both purpose yeah. <laughs> yeah, like i don't know let's just try all of the different ways of doing this and see which yeah. one is like a favorite mm-hmm. uh yeah so it was a double major theater cool. communications down there very nice so how how early did you start what, what were you doing um i think i was probably are you the gerber baby 13? No. Oh, no. <laughs> no, there was a summer camp um, called the Atlanta Workshop Players. That's cool. And it was the summer camp where uh, a lot of the teachers worked in the industry, either as dancers, musicians, or actors. And so, um, you know, you, it's a sleepaway camp and you would get this like schedule and you could, it's just like choosing classes, I guess, in college. You know, you choose the the things that you're most interested in doing, 
And then they had a thing called the agent night on Wednesday nights. And you basically, if you had a monologue, you could audition the monologue in front of one of their acting coaches and they'd coach you on it. And if they thought you were ready, they would let you present at this agent night where you'd basically come out on stage with maybe eight other people and audition for, it was literally a huge theater, maybe 200 seat theater with eight different representatives of like four different agencies in Atlanta and then maybe a couple of talent managers. So it was like very empty. Yeah. (laughs) And you're just doing a monologue and what what did you do? Do you I can't remember. I have no idea. No, I really I have no idea. I just know that at at that time it came really naturally to me Mm -hmm. and I really liked doing it. You didn't and yeah. You would like at the end you'd go and meet with all of these people individually everybody would do it and then if somebody liked you enough they might give you their card and you could call them and set up an interview and hope to you know join the agency and i got a card from everybody and i was like oh i think that was probably the first time i ever realized i could like really do it not just for fun but people would pay me and i thought that was really cool so Thirteen. I mean, that's young. To were, were you making the handshakes, or was it your mom and dad? Or what? oh no, it was all me. Yeah, wow. I mean, my parents. Yeah, oh yeah. You were about to ask if I had any creative people in my family. No, <laughs> no. Yeah. Everybody's really analytical and has like big important jobs that for me I could never do. Yeah, you know. Um, although my grandmother is a really creative person, okay. she like is super into art. She was an art teacher and she was an artist uh, growing up. Um, And so she has all these stories and stuff. She's actually, you should interview her for your podcast. She's going to turn 108 at the end of May. And she's just releasing her second kid's book. I want that interview to happen. It's crazy. (laughs) I want to talk to her. Oh my God. It's, it's like the most nutty thing, but I would say my sense of imagination is definitely her. Her name is Peggy Cobb and she's the one from the Midwest. (laughs) Peggy Cobb. Mm-hmm. I, I like her already. Oh my gosh, she's the greatest. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I just like older people quite a lot. I think most of most of the people that I spend the majority of my time with are over seventy for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. same. Well, I mean, actually, when, yeah, in the Bay Area, that's definitely been the case. Has it? I also feel like there's just sometimes there's like that one family member that's not necessarily in your nucle- nuclear family. Uh huh a cousin or a distant uncle or somebody that's somehow related to you. And you're like, our genes are definitely the same. And mm-hmm. somehow we're, we, we get each other mm-hmm. more than yeah. you do with the other folks in your family. Yeah. I don't know if you have anybody like that, but. I, well, I think I'm the uncle that, and the brother and son that people kind of make like really polite excuses for, you know, Oh, oh you know, he's, <laughs> he's a jack of a lot of trades. You know, he does lots of, thing. of things. Yeah, he does lots of things. He'll, you know, he's he's just so sweet or something like that. You know, but no, I, I I don't really know many. I have so many relatives. My dad, there were like sixteen children born into my dad's Whoa. family. Like, yeah, he was like one of thirteen that survived infancy. And I I honestly don't know all my aunts and uncles' names. That's wild. Is it Catholic, Mormon? What? My, like, what's, well, he would just say a happy uh, guy. <laughs> Happy mom, happy dad. Yeah, sort well. <laughs> he he would say his dad was a drunk Catholic and his mom was a deaf Protestant. Oh. Every night he would say, "Hey, Bridge, you want to go to bed or what?" And my dad referred to himself as the thirteenth what? <laughs> uh, very Midwestern joke. But um, <laughs> amazing. 
Yeah. So there, that tying into a different family member's creativity or vibe or whatever, that was your grandma for you. you yeah. hundred percent. That's cool. She's just the person that encouraged imagination. Mm. You know, for her, it was through art, through painting and drawing and scribbling yeah. and whatever. But, you know, we, I always called her the project grandma because growing up, she always had art projects. Mm-hmm. So every time we came over or when we would spend our summers in Minnesota, like all of the cousins, all my second cousins, you know, we'd be on the table doing all of these art projects. And it was the greatest because it was like, here's the general guidelines on what we're going to do in this project. But, you know, make it your own thing. Do whatever you want. And then at the end, you'd oh. share it and nothing could ever be wrong with it. Yeah. You know, it was always just like constructive criticism, whatever ended up on your piece of paper was like awesome because you made it you know what what let me ask sorry to to harp on grandma for a second but what what's the premise of her books are are they like a series is there a central character yeah well okay i wish i could find here's one this is one that she first of all it's going straight to oh no it's blur zoom doesn't want to see let me see if I'm gonna, I'm gonna unblur this, and I know this is a podcast, but right now I'm showing you a picture of oh Peggy Oh my gosh, Cobb. she's adorable! Peggy. And this is her, maybe at like a brisk 105. Um, but so one of the things she wants people to learn is just to learn about art and how to make art. So um, this is a workbook. This is the last thing that she released a few years Design ago called and Design. "Design and Sign" by Peggy Cobb. But that's not a children's book, right? This, is- this isn't necessarily a children's book, but it comes with these like building blocks. So it's more oh, of like a awesome. craft book for kids. And so, so you cool. add a line to each of these things. So, you know, basically you'd have a piece of paper Wait, with on? a circle on it. Is that you in there? Uh, is that some of your drawings? I think that's one of her examples, okay. but she uses examples that we did when we were kids too. Mm. So uh, this oh, next sorry. one she's coming out with is called Painter Pan. She's about to oh. release it. So be on the lookout. And it's... Uh, this character she created that teaches you about primary colors and how to mix them. So it's like a color theory book, wow. essentially. Is she is she riffing on the Peter Pan's youth? Yes, forever and that just became public art. domain. So now Disney can't sue her for Painter Pan, whatever she's still worth. Yeah, and I, I, I like <laughs> that idea. Out. I mean, so many of the very youthful elderly people I know. There's a few things that they all have in common. One, they have a sense of purpose. Like mm-hmm. They just feel like there's a reason for them to be around. Do so they have some sort of creative drive? So something like either, you know, they're they're telling their life story, or they, you know, sew or do something. You know, so those those two things, and the third is having like a very good sense of humor about however many years have passed. You know, like not taking all of it too seriously. So yeah, well, that's so interesting. Yeah, make for good elderly people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sounds like your grandma's definitely one of those. Yeah. She would say curiosity. She's never yeah. been bored a day in her life. She's just like always curious about everything. But yeah, sense of humor is important. Yeah. You can't just in you general. Could, you could get real bogged down. Um, I have a tricky relationship with humor. I, it's definitely a, uh, be like being back in class, the class <laughs> setting that we have. I just remember, I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm an ass because I, I'm afraid. You know, it's like it's oh. humor. Humor is like this very obvious mask. It's like a transparent mask to like hide insecurity for like all <laughs> the things I'm not great at or afraid, you know, but it's it's still like that thing that 
makes me the happiest. If, you know, if I can make myself or anyone else laugh, it's like the greatest feeling in the world. You know, yeah. there's nothing, nothing like it. It's like when you make somebody else laugh, but also what you're talking about sounds like, uh, like in class, you used it as a way in, you know, this it, is something I don't feel like I know what I'm doing. Yeah. <laughs> I'm really scared to do it. I don't yes. feel like I know, you know, yeah. but humor will help me put a foot in the door and then the yes. next bit of the, you know, right. And then all yeah. of a sudden you're there or you're somewhere, you're somewhere, <laughs> you're, you're somewhere. somewhere. With people. So that's a good thing. Yeah. (laughs) You're not like off in the woods by yourself. (laughs) No, which I'm prone to do that as well. So, okay, let's, uh, I want to jump back to your 13 years old, you're shaking hands, getting business cards and getting gigs. Hustling. Traveling. Where, where was your first gig? Was it a local, like Atlanta? Yeah. So Atlanta was actually a great place to start off because they they call it the Hollywood of the South. They just, um, they have tax incentives mm-hmm. that are the second best in the nation. I think Michigan for a while was like number one. But unlike Michigan, we have mountains and we have flatland. We yes. have small farming communities where the architecture is exactly the same as it was in the 1950s. Great place mm-hmm. to do a period piece. We have a coastline, mm-hmm. you know, and we have interior. We have big cities. We have small towns and everything in between. And it's the South. So for the most part, snow is not really an issue, you know, in the wintertime. So there were a lot of projects that would come down and, you know, whether I agree with this or not, it was a right to work state. So you'll hear about like acting unions Mm -hmm. and for actors, you are offered union or non-union jobs. And the beauty of starting off in Atlanta was you could accept both union and non-union because mm-hmm. it was a right to work state. Right. So if it was a union project, you were still paid according to union guidelines and everything that they had set up there. And part of that meant that a certain percentage of your cast and crew had to be local. And oh, so huge cool. Hollywood movies would film in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. And still to this day, it's a big spot for people to go and film, but they'd cast their leads out of LA and New York and fly them down. But you need your guest stars, you need your fillers and everything in between so that's kind of how i got started i think my first gig though was for a educational video at a local mountain called arabia mountain and i taught kids about lichen so i was like somebody that i'm sure kids watched on like their school field trips or something i think that was my first gig yeah the building blocks (laughs) of soil yes I had to walk around on a mountain and I know people on this podcast can't see me, but I am extremely fair skinned. And that was, <laughs> there was some sunburns to deal yeah, with after that, there, that day. I can imagine. I can imagine. That's super cool. So, all right, you're, you're doing local gigs and I, I remember that about Atlanta and New Orleans had some of that going on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's funny that like, I, I used to work in an industry that um, people were outsourcing to the south you know at a time when you could you could send a company to bangladesh and make you know make more money because it was cheaper to do business there but it wasn't so terribly expensive to do business in the south Mm -hmm. big you know those energy companies would be building things in arkansas or mississippi or tennessee louisiana because it was you know you're near all the infrastructure and it was just cheaper yeah i mean it's just Buying food in Marin versus buying food in Memphis, Tennessee is a different story, you know? Right. So, yeah, that all that all factors into a, a movie-making budget, I can imagine. 
Oh yeah, <laughs> I'm sure. Hotels for people to stay at, most importantly. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like for them. But there were other things like I remember Wilmington Nor- North Carolina? Nope. Sure. Yeah, North Carolina, I think. Oh. And what that's where they filmed like Dawson's Creek and One Tree Hill oh. and these like teen mm-hmm. drama shows, teen soap operas basically. So mm-hmm. there was a lot of work there. And then um Lifetime television for women. Also, I was like settled in the South. So they did a lot of filming around the Charleston, South Carolina okay. area. So that yeah, that was interesting. I mean, it was a lot of long road trips. Yeah, so even just to like those, audition for things. You were getting those gigs though? You were you were working the lifetime. A few times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. Nice. It was <laughs> I know. So Everybody's always had, like, anything I've seen you in? And I'm like, I mean, probably, but I don't want to. Like, oh, yeah. Have you I a, sort of have a, a love hate relationship with that time in life. So lots what, of it was really cool, but. You and I are probably not too far. You look a lot younger than I do, but I look older than maybe I am. I don't know. Yeah. I'm in my mid 40s. I'm 36. I'm. Yeah. 36. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you started when you were 13. So I don't know. Were you. Were you going for movie roles? Were you doing television? Yeah, just whatever. All of it. Yeah. So I would, there were a lot of uh, television shows where I would be guest star, co star nice. roles on, and those were always exciting. But, you know, they were like Lifetime or Tyler Perry Studios, things like that. Yeah. I played Karen before Karen was a Karen. Right. Tyler Perry referred to those types of white women as Margaret, and I could knock that out of the park. And it's like, yeah. do you really want to talk about that? Because then that would mean I have to admit it. Oh, <laughs> like that's, that's it just you know, I just found a lot, uh, a lot of uh, to make fun of in that. So I actually have sure. a lot of fun with those kind of roles. I can but yeah, I mean, I did that before I went to college, and then when college got interrupted because of Hurricane Katrina and I moved back, I started working at my talent agency. And I found that side of things really fascinating too. And so I started kind of doing double duty. I would work as an agent. Oh, wow. Under the understanding with the owner of the agency that anything that I would be right for, they had to still send me out. And if I booked a job, they had to let me go. Nice. Do the job. And so I did that for a long time until I... Made enough money doing a gig that I was ready to move to New York City because I always, my whole life, wanted to live in New York City. And Yet so, another thread that you and I have in common. I've also really? Lived in, in New York. Yeah, I've also lived. What part of New York? Were, were um, you a Manhattan kind of guy? Well, I first moved to Manhattan in 1999. And then um, I ended up in Park Slope, Brooklyn. Oh yeah! Like this is this most hipster sounding thing ever, but there were there were no hipsters there yet. And then I ended up in uh, uh, Sunset Park, and I think I was the only, for sure, the only just white dude, mm-hmm. and absolutely only person over six feet tall. Like, it was like <laughs> it was a trip. It was all kind of like Dominican and Puerto Rican guys, mm-hmm. and then me. You know, so everybody on your block knew who you were. Oh God! Yeah, yeah. I don't want. I keep telling too many stories, but like I was in a grocery store in my neighborhood and I just asked him I was like hey can you help me find a cheese grater and he said what I said yeah a cheese grater he's like hang on a second and he yelled across the store in Espanol and I didn't speak any Spanish at the time so I didn't know what he said and everyone within earshot of this grocery store starts laughing they all turn at me and just starts laughing I was like what did I say like cheese grater you know queso I don't know <laughs> and at, like I didn't get mad I was just like haha funny funny 
And everybody just laughed. And from then on, anytime I went to the grocery store, everybody was like, hola, buenas tardes. Hey. You know, like, you <laughs> You're the queso like, man. <laughs> I, I don't even know. I have no idea why they were all laughing at me. It was just like, look at this fucking guy. I don't know. <laughs> but no, yeah. So I was, I, I, for a few months, lived in Manhattan. And the rest of the time, I was in Brooklyn. Where, yeah, where did you That's the right up? choice. I was you, in Brooklyn the whole what? time. I worked in Manhattan and mm-hmm. did improv in New York and nice. more acting in New York. And that was always in Manhattan. but. Brooklyn is like, still to this day, when I have to go to New York and stay, I'm like, mm-hmm. stay please, in let's Where? stay in Brooklyn. Like, what, my God. What, what part? Oh, well, you said you were hipster. I was in Williamsburg when it oh, was sh- full of hipsters. Yeah, so, yeah, nice. you know, I'm sure it's even worse today. I left in 2015. So <laughs> yeah. I'm sure it's even worse today. I don't, I don't judge it, man. You know, like there's people, it's funny to shit on hipsters because like they're ironic and they kind of like irony mm-hmm. and being crapped on. But, you know. I like coffee. I oh, like restaurants. Yeah. You know, I like avocados. Shit, it's great. It's great. It's fine. Yeah. You know, just I don't like you know when people can't afford to live there anymore, and like all the interesting people have to move. But I mean, that what are you supposed to do? You know, like uh, that's go? like every city too. Every time I go sure. back to Atlanta, it's like rent is just as expensive as it is in Oakland, I mean, in a lot of places, and it's it's just yeah. it's a very different vibe than it was growing up. Yeah, it sort of seems like that's the trend. Yeah, yeah. I was just I was writing the other day about uh, living in in that area, and I was like, you know, this was before like the rising tide of gentrification had just washed over the place. But just me being around didn't help. You know, like just <laughs> yeah. normalizing a big, tall, goofy white dude in your neighborhood. Like that's I was the the sign of bad things to come. Yeah. They were this, like, we knew it know, was coming when queso like, showed up. Oh, when that big dumb queso <laughs> son of a bitch was in the grocery store. I <laughs> anyway. So, okay. So you moved up to New York. Were you doing theater stuff? What was your. Well, I didn't. Well, I wanted to try to do film and television because mm-hmm. I had really been on a roll in Atlanta and I kind of got to the point where I felt like I couldn't do more. Did you get some big roles? What what have I got some like guest starring and um would do several episodes of some television shows like mm-hmm. Tyler Perry stuff or Lifetime or One Tree Hill and all nice. this stuff. Um and so I just was like, if I really want to try to go after this and try to get bigger, better roles, I have to be in the cities where they're actually casting that. And so I moved up to New York and it was interesting. I'm the owner of my talent agency in Atlanta is like a second mother to me. And so I said, I'm going to move to New York. And she said, okay, I'm going to try to get you some interviews with some talent agencies up there. And I said, great. And I thought I was hot shit. Like I thought I had great credits. I had just done an indie movie or something with Kevin Spacey and Johnny Knoxville. And I was like, Oh, I'm big time. This was before Kevin Spacey got me too. Right. Right. Um, you know, uh, so I was like, I was ready to go. And I remember going in and sitting down and having my first interview with this talent agent in New York City. And she looked at my resume and I had great credits better than you can't start in New York and get that kind of stuff. That was the beauty of starting in Atlanta. Yeah, right. And uh, she said, I'm just going to be honest with you. I feel like you look like a girl I could find at a mall in the Midwest somewhere. And so, like, we're casting, at the time, it was Gossip Girls, which was, so I need you in tighter, shorter dresses, show your stuff a little bit more, and I'm going to give you uh, the name of my hairstylist, and I oh. want you to go see her. And so I, I 
was like, Jesus, okay. And I went to this hairstylist and it was like a $200. It wasn't even a haircut. It was a blowout. She, 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 I got a blow dry. Like that was it. <laughs> I was like, just oh my God. Your hair, just straightened yeah. it or what? And gave it body. I mean, and that was it. And I was just remember feeling super gross. Like, I don't know if this is for me. I honestly I'd kind of been having those feelings in Atlanta because a, a lot of, roles this isn't my language but a lot of roles were madonnas or whores for women like that's how they're written so i was either in a frumpy moo moo talking about how i miss my husband and i'm here i'm raising my baby alone or it was like the i'm gonna take your man away from you and you know just like over sexualized thing yeah yeah and so i was kind of like man i really like to try to get some like better writing going on here So when I moved up to New York and she said, oh, you're basically basic bitch. look like anybody I could find in the Midwest. And you have to kind of sexualize yourself more in order for us to be interested enough to send you out for things. So it was just this like I felt like I didn't know what to do. And when I moved to New York, when I moved to Brooklyn, I moved in with my best friend, uh, my oldest friend. I've known him since the day I was born and he went to NYU. For acting. And he said, oh, if you're going to move up to New York, you got to move in with me and my roommates. Like, this will be great. Everybody's kind of in the field, you know, everybody's trying to be an actor or whatever. And that was cool, except for I moved in to an apartment with three other guys that went to NYU and had been there for Mm -hmm. a few years after college. So they were a lot further along Mm -hmm. in their careers and meeting people in New York and making connections and booking stuff. And I just felt so far behind. So my friend was like, I came and I told him about this horrible thing with the casting agent. He was like, you know, you should try just doing improv. Because at the time, UCB, the Upright Citizens Brigade, was really big in New York City. And this is like a improv comedy theater founded by Amy Poehler and three other guys. And it's, it, it was like a machine for churning out like the best comedians, yeah. the best writers, in the business and still to this day that you see sort of permeate around like it's just like the most brilliant funny minds and he said you know they have a school and so it's kind of like this voiceover stuff that we're doing like Mm -hmm. you just go and you start at level one stuff and then you see if they'll accept you into level two stuff and then level three four and then you know whatever and so i i did that and i had no idea what i was doing i thought i'd be really good at it oh i've been acting for a long time but Improv is a whole different beast, and I was humbled real quick, but made some of the greatest people ever doing that. Sometimes you just have to immerse yourself, you know? Yeah. Well, where did you end up landing on that? Do you still do improv? Do you feel compelled toward that at all? Well, I don't think I'm very good at it, (laughs) number one. And number two, it's really hard to do like bad improv. So, Mm, you know, you kind of have to find a team that you gel with or Mm. be willing to be bad for a while. And uh, that's just too hard. Here's the thing. Like, (laughs) I don't want to disparage anyone that I'm going to class with or anyone really. But there are like theater kids. Yes. And then everybody else. I mean, that's stupid to say that. But you know what I mean? Like. When someone's a theater kid, you know they're a theater kid. You don't strike me as a theater kid. Like, oh, thank you. You, 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 you've got <laughs> thank a different, 
different sort of vibe because like you I, I get the sense and I could be wrong but I get the sense that like you enjoy the performance but not necessarily for the act of you know being seen see my singular brilliance with, yeah know, it's like you just like the process of being in the thing right I mean like yeah I'm like really self-conscious I don't like I yes it is a it's a very strange dichotomy you're very nail on the head here a bit. Okay. Where, and some of my friends that are the most su- successful actors that I know too, they're, they're kind of like this too, where they're really private mm-hmm. individuals. And so they'll go out and they'll do the promo that they have to do for the thing that they filmed or whatever, but they don't really like post on be. social media. I'm not really right. on social media. They don't really want people yeah. in their world knowing them in any kind of intimate way, you right. know? Yeah. But you can but that being said, when you are performing, All you are yeah. giving something that's so authentic to who you are that mm. it is Believable. by nature an intimate mm. thing that you're showing up with. And so it's this weird thing of Wanting to be seen, but not wanting to be seen. Wanting to be heard, maybe, but not wanting to be fully seen. (laughs) Wanting to make art is the the vibe that I get. Like Because it is an art. I think of movies as like probably one of the highest art forms that we have. Because it's everything. I mean, you know, the fact that there are carpenters, electricians, and plumbers, and people like that involved in the making of movies. Right. That to me is like, you know, there's, there's... visual art there's music there's dancing there's acting the, the director the writing it's all there there's sculptural elements there like i've met people who are like set designers that are fucking brilliant people yes. they're so creative and can like so to me like the movie and and, and now increasingly like streaming television type stuff is just mm-hmm. so such high art to me even if it's like a goofy star wars thing like yeah. the, the shit that goes into making it is, to me, you know, layman, amazing. The thing that I can't get myself to get on board with, and which is why I'm so reticent to do a um, an improv class, uh-huh. is the theater kid. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I don't mean to say that, like, there's anything wrong with the theater kid, but that energy and my energy can't always find a nice niche to hang out in. I, I get, like annoyed yes like i just want to go home and i just don't want to be yeah like that that like over the top energy for too long i just can't i can't take it for too long is that well this you might actually enjoy improv yeah it's not yeah no well it it, it is kind of half and half right at least in my experience in new york what i found was you kind of had actors who were going into improv and Mm -hmm. then you had the writers who were going into improv And those are like two very different skill sets, right? But you need them. The thing I think is cool about acting in general, whether it be improv or theater or film or any other medium, Mm -hmm. or at least what I enjoy the most about it, is it's a very collaborative arts form. For sure. Right? So, And music can be that way too, although you're the one in charge of your instrument. And I guess in a way that's what acting is too, but... It's what you said. It's not just amongst the actors, directors, producers. It's the right. set designers. It's hair and makeup is a huge thing to bring a, a world, massive, you know, massive. to light. Yeah. Wardrobe, a set design. Mm-hmm. I mean, all of it is just like has to come together. Mm-hmm. And everybody has to really go, oh, you gave me a really good idea. I'm going to 
yeah. jump in and here, here's the thing that I can add to this. And you go, oh my God, I never saw it that way, but that makes so much sense. Like, this is great. Improv was hard as an actor. I came at it at, for, as an actor because I'm used to scripts. I'm used to something already being written. Mm -hmm. And then I do what we did in our voiceover script analysis class. Like, you break down the narrative. You break down the script. You yeah. figure out what's your angle, what's your opinion, how can you personally relate to the thing and yeah. bring that into your performance. And so actors would overact, I think, in improv mm -hmm. classes, but that's just because they would jump to embodying a character. And so I'm just going to commit really hard to this character choice. And that's sometimes you can feel the theater kid in that. <laughs> but writers, I always thought, helped kind of shape a scene better than um, people who were just maybe strictly actors. And maybe yeah. they had an easier time doing that in the writer's mind. And sometimes that was at the expense of being able to act in the scene, to right. be able to say yes and, and. to somebody, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, but, it's, but it's an interesting thing because you, you need both of those types for improv to work, I think. Sure. You need a writer's mind. You need a, a performer's mind. The performer... I'm fascinated with performers like like music you brought that up the mm -hmm. best musicians are the best listeners and I feel like that like when you watch a really good actor do a thing and like really get somewhere and it feels natural and like they're just having a, a fight or a conversation or making love or whatever the thing is that's to me it's like they've learned all the things they need to know about their character but then they're just responding they're listening to what's happening they just are are responding as that character, not they're not just you know it's not just the lines and I'm gonna do my thing and give a good performance like I'm in this mm -hmm. I've embodied this thing and and of course those that's you know those are my that's my belt this is my house and this is the thing that I'm doing right now so it feels like it feels like what you're saying is it's a listening thing for you yeah that, that you're trying to to do that yeah it's a listening it's a watching. Yeah. I've always been really interested in like body language, hmm. for instance. I think probably ever since I was a little kid, I was always watching how people acted, hmm. yeah. how people acted as themselves. Because right. it's like you said, there's a mask. <laughs> Most, yeah. um, almost everybody puts on just to approach life in general. Sure. And it, sure. I always found that so interesting. Like they were, they always told me when I was younger, I was like, tried to act older, but I was always trying to like embody this like sense of my mom, you know, mm. confidence. Also, I had this really cool babysitter. She was just like the, and she just had this cool confidence, this sort of like fiery, don't fuck with me thing. And people yeah. were, you know, wouldn't. And it was just like, great, you know? Yeah. And I, I tried it on in my body. I don't know how else to really explain Yeah, that. no, I get it. You know? And then I, in trying it out in my body, you're doing something. Mm -hmm. There's an action there. And acting is just embodying the action of interacting right. with a space, with other people, with a feeling. And I just, I think it's so interesting. I love dance because of that too. I, I mm -hmm. love watching dancers because I think that that's just athletically incredible but yes. also the way that you can express feeling and emotion without saying anything right it's also just fascinating how do we all get it how do we all agree to suspend disbelief sit in a large 
dark box looking in one direction and mm-hmm. going, okay, we all agree. Whatever we're looking at right now, that's our reality for the next 90 minutes. Yeah. Great. Let's all what not a- talk and just look at <laughs> yeah. one thing and not each other. What an amazing It's weird. Gift. It's an amazing gift. It's such a, it's a bizarre thing to do with your brain, with your time, with friends. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I, um, I was just, when you were talking about dancing, I was thinking about flamenco, oh. which is is different in that the musicians are playing to the dancer. Mm. It's not the music; the dancer's not dancing to the music. The musicians are playing to that dancer. Oh, that's watching, interesting! I didn't know they're that. They're watching and listening to, to the dancer, and it's fucking cool, man. It's flamenco is so so cool. Like if you don't, if you've not taken the weird deep dive, a yeah, my, no. A friend of mine made a film about it. A guy named Tao T A O Ruspoli. He made a film about um, flamenco and he caught some of these guys in Spain, like before they died, that were just absolute masters, you know, like oh old school. God. I, God, I wish I knew the name of the film, but you could look, I'll put a link up when I post this episode. But yeah, uh, flamenco, as far as like watching dance and seeing that whole thing, you know, yeah. it's, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. That's so cool. Okay. So I, I know I'm, we're going all over the rails and we're almost <laughs> an hour good. into this. Uh, so you, you are, you're in New York. You're what, in your 20s? Yeah. Early mm-hmm. 20s. My mid-20s, yeah. And you're finding disillusionment in the thing or you're finding inspiration in, in yeah, improv? Yeah, I mean, I, I found improv and I loved improv and I loved the community. So mm-hmm. again, like collaboration, yeah. community, having a way to exercise your creativity Mm-hmm. I think we like, you know, until you don't really have that in your life all the time, like for me right now, I, you realize how much you like kind of need that to feel like yourself. And so New York provided a lot of that. Everybody yeah. I knew was doing it. Um, so, but New York was very much a work hard, play hard place. Yes. And so I decided improv, I didn't feel like I was very good at it. And I was trying really hard and not really getting anywhere. Mm-hmm. So... I joined um, the William Esper studio. I got accepted to their two-year Meisner program, which is a style of performance, just like Stanislavski method is one and Uta Hagen, there's Meisner, Stanford Meisner. And so, which is acting truthfully under imaginary circumstances. That's just kind of like their tagline. Um, And I was in a class for two years meeting once a week and outside of class twice a week with the same 16 people for two years. And it was the most incredible experience. It was really just like workshopping, learning how to improv and listen, and then eventually approach text and behave really honestly to not like act. I'm doing my little bunny ear air quotes here. Don't be seen as performing. Try to actually do things from a truthful, honest place, and you'll get a much better, more spontaneous, more realistic performance. And it was just, I don't know, it was amazing. But towards the end of that, I met a guy, fell in love, and moved out to the West Coast. So that sort of <laughs> ended my time in New York a little prematurely. Gotcha. Yeah. So have you been in the Bay Area ever since? Yeah. You've been in Since in 2015. Oakland. Yep. Okay. Wow. And wait, are you still acting? Uh, No, not really. I mean, what are you doing? Sort of. When I first moved out here, I joined a sketch comedy group in the city oh, called cool. Killing My Lobster. And they had, have you heard of them? No. Oh, they've been around for like 35 years. It's Killing My, Killing Lobster. My Lobster. Yeah, they do sketch comedy. 
And uh, I auditioned for their company and then did a bunch of stuff with them and then fell out of it because, again, like, if the writing isn't like consistently on point, it's really kind of hard. And as much sure. as I love theater and live performance, I also, it's not my favorite way of doing acting, mm. but um, my agent in Atlanta got me an agent out here. So I've done like a few gigs here and there, but nothing fun or exciting, but I get all these voiceover auditions through them. I don't know why get them i probably shouldn't be saying that on a podcast but i'm like i don't know what i'm doing like keep sending them to me i'll pretend like i'm of course yes i'll get that in right away but so i've just been faking it have you gotten any gigs yeah i've gotten a couple but not a ton and a lot of it is for stuff that's like welcome to facebook i'm going to be reading you the instruction manual for (laughs) this new product that we're releasing you know it's yeah not been anything terribly cool or exciting but even that i love it like i will spend eight hours and wake up early just to go do that kind of stuff and not feel like i've had a long day you know what i mean yeah it's like fun so i want to do more of it i just don't know how to do that in the bay area in the way that feels feels good fun and good Mm -hmm. yeah yeah i don't know how to do any of it i i I mean i the more I learn about how difficult, I mean, the fact that you're getting people, your agent is sending you stuff is amazing. Like truly, the, since I never book anything, it is amazing. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> I, like when you talk to some of our instructors and mm-hmm. people that do this professionally and, and you hear their ratio of like audition to booked gig. What, what do we hear? I haven't heard anybody say anything. Like what are they, oh, what do man. they say? 50 to one, it, 40 okay, to one. That makes me feel better. All right. Yeah, it's it's substantial, and then then you could put some time in. Mm-hmm. You know the the amount of time that it takes to, you know, get the script, examine, break it down, find your thing, make your choices, make your recording, edit it, put it together, and send it out. I mean, that's no small amount of time, right? You know, and you're committing. You're like you really. <laughs> I don't know. But you know what's cool about what you're doing is you're mm-hmm. making your own thing. You're not waiting for somebody to create the thing for you to audition for and cross your fingers and hope that you get. You're creating yeah. it yourself. And I feel like it's, that's a New York mentality. <laughs> that's the difference between New York and LA. LA is wait to try yeah. to get scripts and auditions. New York is write your own script, cast it yourself yeah. and make it. I'm sure you can hear my dog barking in the background. Sorry about that. No. I, Got a beagle. Uh, what's, oh, nice, nice. What's the beagle's name? Sandwich. 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 That's great. But she talks a lot. Sorry. Sure. She's got lots. I mean, she's got a job to do. She's watching out. Yeah. uh, So this is like, um, I guess uh, to your point, it is kind of a New York, you know, that renegade, do your own thing. But it's also combined with someone who's maybe done too many recreational explorations of their mind. Is it though? Uh, So it's, it's free. Hmm. I don't chart. I don't make any money here. Yeah. That's not particularly New York. Uh, kind yeah, of it is though what, it's very indie you know what i, I mean, mean? Just, to me like the reason i so we this is my second podcast the uh and i hate the word podcast i, <laughs> I like i every time i say it i feel a little gross but <laughs> our first one was premised on a trip my wife and i took like this long journey we were we went to alaska and we're on our way to um uh, tierra del fuego oh my god and uh it, via you know a van we were driving but COVID 
stuck us in uh, Costa Rica. And anyway, so our trip ended. Um, so I didn't want to, and that was all, in, all interviews. It was just interviews, meeting funny and interesting people. And then uh, I didn't, I had a stroke and all these weird oh things gosh. happened to me. So we were just like, okay, we're not going to do that anymore. So I, like an idiot, I just turned that show off and started this one. Oh, interesting. Because <laughs> I just wanted to write stories and like read stories. But I've been meeting again now that like I'm in school and doing all this stuff. I'm meeting people again. Mm-hmm. It's like, man, I really want to talk to this person. And the best um, premise or like reason to go talk to someone that, you know, like you and I wouldn't have just hung out like this. Right. I, you wouldn't have been like, hey, Mary, you want to go get a cup of coffee? Like, no, <laughs> no, no, no. You know, but like, hey, well, you want to be on this podcast? Like, well, sure. Yeah, I'll do that. So it creates a context to have these experiences With that strangers. I otherwise wouldn't. Yeah. Totally. It's like traveling. Totally. It's like, kind of. It's very much like traveling. Yeah. And it's also, it's like safe. You know, it's not, there's no like other weird shit around it. Like, yeah. I don't have an agenda. I don't need anything from you other than just like, this interaction. Mm-hmm. So that's that's what this is about. I mean, like it, the the writing aspect of it, because most of what I do on here, I have a partner in Canada who uh, also kind of writes some stories, but he's interviewing musicians. He's really into music. So, um, you know, for me, I just, I, I wanted a reason to write. And, it, you know, having a self-imposed deadline, it's like, well, then I'll write every day. Oh, yeah. And I'll, I'll put out stories, you know. And that's the only way it gets, gets done. So like this this thing that we're doing right now is all part of like, I don't know. I wrote the other day. It's like, um, another middle-aged white dude, uh, using questionably placed commas to deal with existential dread. Yeah. So this is kind of that, you know, this is an extension of my weirdly placed commas. Uh, it's like placing smarter people in between those punctuations. And so like, having the opportunity to talk to you about acting and about and what it means to you to do that thing and kind of what I'm getting from you right now is the hole that it's left mm-hmm. in your life that you're not currently doing it. I, I feel for that. I mean, I have like a, I have an empathy for that because that, like I said, that sense of purpose, that creative outlet, that's all the happy old people I know that got that. So I, I like what you're doing in pursuing the voiceover track to make sure that you don't lose that thing. Yeah. I also just recently got to a place in my life where I've been able to take the space away Mm -hmm. from needing to make money at the creative pursuit. I think that was a really easy, easy reason why, or a common reason why people, why people drop out of whatever their creative pursuit or passion might've been because totally all of a sudden I was trying to like make a career out of it. It kind of landed in my lap. People were interested. I would book a job. They'd pay me as like a teenager. But I mean, I didn't really care about that so much because I didn't need it. I was still in high school. I didn't need to be like fully financially independent yet. Right. And then I was in college. So it was like, well, I can't commit all of my time to doing this. And then you kind of get disenchanted with it, you know, with the type of roles that there were out there for me to audition for and whatever. And you just kind of go, I'm just I'm not going to do this. This isn't reasonable practical i have to get a real person job you know really try to make money for myself and i did that and i just was like i i became a sounds so cliche but i I became a pilates instructor when i moved out here but again it like fell into my lap i just was naturally kind of good at it found it really interesting for a while and then the burnout was real and i'm like i can't put in this much work to something i'm not passionate in 
and making right. enough money right. in for it to be worth it. So now it's like, I just, I'm going to not care about money for a little bit. And I'm going to try to just find a way to do more stuff creatively, either through booking things or in collaboration with other people yeah. and just see what's out there. Cause I just haven't really allowed myself to explore it out here in a long time. So do you also write? Um, I haven't in a long time, but yeah, I mean, I've written a bunch of comedy sketches and, um, I had a blog for a little while mm -hmm. or similar things. I traveled a whole bunch. Um, when I first moved out here, so I wasn't really in the Bay Area. I was here for yeah. a month at a time or something. And so I try to write about that, but you're starting to make me realize there's like a big connection between traveling and that idea yeah. of it being a means to meet people in different environments and different contexts and really like learn more about the shape of other people's lives. Yeah. That doing something creative gives you too. It's funny. The, so the traveling thing, there's kind of two cool sides of it. So we, you know, we, we traveled in this weird sort of, we just kept on meeting other travelers. Right. And then we were meeting other people who were hosting travelers. And <laughs> those people had always invariably been travelers that just needed to be home for a while. They still <laughs> missed the road. So they started hosting travelers so that, when you have a guest come into your home and you get to give back all that great shit that you got when you were on the road, you know, oh, you can do your laundry here. Do you need a ride to this? You know, do you need this, this, this? And then you exchange stories yeah. and you get all this, that, that give and take of the traveler is like, you can't put a price on it. It's so invaluable and beautiful. So there's like two kinds of travelers, the ones who don't go anywhere, but bring it to them mm -hmm. and the ones who are looking for them. You know? Yeah, that's so it's, interesting. It's a beautiful thing. So, so the thing that connects me back to it when I'm not able to travel or I'm not currently traveling, I either take adventures, like my wife and I have like done some long distance cycling journeys or we do the driving thing, um, or I write. And, mm. and in that writing, I'm remembering things that have happened, whether it's childhood or whatever, or a piece of fiction. And that's got that same sort of travely element yeah it makes you feel like you're connecting with something other than just you know like i've been building a retaining wall that's been my task physical task you know that it's hard to connect with anything uh interesting or ephemeral or you know weirdly travel like when you're just physically busting your ass but you know to to sit and immerse yourself in a creative pursuit you're suddenly elsewhere and it's it's beautiful. Yeah. Really, and you're like I mean, hearing your own voice while you're writing to be in your head like that, thinking of the story, coming up with a sentence to write it down. Mm -hmm. You're hearing yourself in a way that I don't think you can really do unless you're big into meditation or something like that. Yeah, you know, like, like we're that, always yeah. being bombarded with like other people's mm -hmm. sort of facades that they put up about themselves or this like sure. sort of false reality that we all just sort of accept about the world around us. But when you sit down to like, write, You're really tapping yeah. into your own voice. And when you don't do it for a while, it's probably easy to go. I don't know how to even sit down and begin to write again. You'd be surprised. Yeah. Yeah. It's sometimes that's the best time. So I, um, I have a friend who's a coach, a writing coach who 
drew it out of me. Like I, she, uh, she was a travel writer. She moved from Great Britain to Mexico City or to Oaxaca, oh in Mexico, and then lived in Mexico City for many years. And now lives like on the uh, the Pacific Coast. Such a cool lady, so so cool, and just like encouraged me, you know, and 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 brought me out of that. Like, I mean, I still am racked with self doubt. Just absolutely racked, but like, I can ignore it enough to still do it. You know how like some writers they say. Um, I like having written. I don't like writing. Yes. I like having written. It is the exact opposite for me. Oh, interesting. Like, you like having the written. Yeah, I love to sit down and write. I love to edit. I love to, the whole thing. It's just like great. But when the finished product comes, I'm like, oh, <laughs> what is this shit? <laughs> but, you know, um, that's just, you know, a matter of getting out of your own way, I think, or hope. Mm-hmm. Anyway. No, it makes sense. I think my, go, to take this back to Peggy, so we, Full circle moment here. I think that's kind of the thing with her. We talked about like what keeps you alive, right? I mean, she sends me emails every day. We email every single season. She's 108. Think about this. She was born in 1915. She learned how to use a computer around her 100th birthday. And she uses it. And she can't hear anymore. So this is like her main way of being able to communicate with people. But we always talk about like what has kept her going and it's this sense of curiosity about things but also she's like me i have like sixty thousand pieces of paper with just like ideas thoughts written down on them and i think that she has she has that all the time she always has these clippings and wild random pieces of paper all over her apartment and these stories that she's finally putting together and trying to self-publish into these cute little books are just projects she has to finish and she feels this like time closing in on her. And yes. I think for her, it's like, I've got to finish the few ideas that now I'm seeing that were really, really good. I got to like finish. There's this urgency to it, you know, like that's the fire for her. And I'm like, oh, it's, I've got to wait to be 100 before I go back and even review all of these like random pieces of paper and write something down. No, no. So here's, remember the in, you know. We used humor as an in, mm-hmm. all these different things you use as a toehold. Um, what got me, brought me back into the idea of writing as a practice was a prompt. And um, I found a box of photos at my mom's house that I hadn't seen in 20 years. Like the newest photo in there was more than 20 years old. And so uh, I told my writing coach about it. She's like, I want you to take one of those out at random every day, pick a sense in your body. And write about that sense looking at that. Oh, wow. That's so cool. Super cool, right? Yeah. So what I'm going to offer to you uh, as a prompt. So you and Peggy collaborate. I'd love for you to narrate some, like maybe you guys collaborate on a story. Oh, man, that would be so cool. And if you were to narrate it, narrate the story that you two worked on together. Like you used to work on those audio book, the little projects when you were kids, you know, Mm -hmm. like the the creative project, if you turn that into some story time, I would love that. I would publish that in two seconds oh, and I would so en- cool. encourage you to publish it or do, you know, that's a, to me, that's, a, that's like a natural prompt just sitting there waiting for you. you know, you've got this, this woman eager to tell her stories. You've got kind of a, like a creative space in your life that could very yeah, easily embody I, I, that. I actually think it's a brilliant suggestion because I would say by far she's the most like inspiring human being i've ever met 
And even though she can't like do full sentence, like she has a really hard time, you know, cognitively, it is starting to go down a little bit. But I have so many stories that she has told me in the past. And it's true. Like if they don't go somewhere, then they just existed once upon a time and that's it. That'd be heartbreaking. I have an idea for a, um, a way to monetize this type of thing, not as a podcast, but as like a archive mm. for people. You know, because like you're like Peggy, mm-hmm. you need to get every ounce of her that you can remember. Like I'll, I'll never hear my dad's voice again. Oh, I, yeah. I don't know if there are any recordings. If there are, I don't know where they are. You know, and he's gone. And like, you know, never mind just like this thousands of hilarious stories, just the tenor and timbre of his voice. Mm-hmm. Like I kind of, you know, what you hear in your head is like a made up thing. You don't know if, you know, so like get as much of her as you can. Yeah. I know that sounds like vampiric or whatever, but like, you know, any way that you can preserve her voice, even just if yeah. you record a phone call. God, you're making me, there is a, uh, I mean, we're on a podcast. I know we're in it, but there, I do have some videos of her um, telling me we can share her it. favorite. We can put oh, them. by the way, everybody go look at Painter Pan oh, by Peggy yeah. <laughs> It's like, and she's Painter she Pan. illustrated the whole thing. It's like all her. Where do you find that? Um, I'm guys. Put, it's, it's not there yet, but it's it's okay. to be released soon. So okay. by Peggy Cobb. <sighs> but I'm just remembering that I've I have had her record um, her favorite poem to me, and she can recite it oh. by memory. And it's just Beautiful. it's so. It's so crazy that she can do that. But I, I, I think that's like a beautiful thing. If you are a creative yeah. person and you find yourself in a creative rut, just find stories to tell, even if they're not your own. Yeah, man. Yeah, find a prompt. Whatever that prompt is, I think that's, you know, and it sounds like, I mean, you brought her up immediately, you know, oh. as the creative thing in your family. So it's good to have some sort of anchor touchback thing to like, okay, well, you know, I mean, that's that's such like a it's almost a trope in storytelling that you know the hero returns with new eyes kind of thing you yeah know? you know what'd be Isn't really that, interesting is interviewing lots of people who know her oh yeah about her yeah absolutely you know like in all everybody's sort of sharing their own story and perspective and then by the time you have the whole thing there you get this right. shape of a person based on what how people see them which is really i think you've got i mean you obviously have like the natural storyteller's voice I mean, I think you, I think he, Jim, our instructor even picked you to be the storyteller, right? The last time? Uh, I feel like. Maybe. Did he? Maybe. It, it doesn't matter. Yeah. You definitely have it. You, and I've heard you in like our narration class, you've got a knack for it. And so like a production, you know, a Mary Cobb production of the life of Peggy Cobb uh, or whatever, you know, like. And, Stop and it. I'm writing go, things down now on my piece of paper. <laughs> yeah. Like you're interviewing her and her friends and your family members and all these people. And you do a, you make a production like a, like a love letter to Peggy Cobb. Oh, uh, you know, like, it's so cool. Okay. Well, it's super cool. I love that's this. A, that's, I think something that a lot of people could do, Yes, but not everyone would. I think that's a lot of, a lot of people deserve that. A lot of elderly people. Cause they, you'd be surprised. I mean, maybe not surprised. You're sensitive. Like, how invisible oh, elderly people yeah. feel, you know, like uh, homeless people and and um, elderly people just feel like, I mean, almost literally invisible. Yeah, 
Yeah. Like the sort of thing that you can walk past, you know, and not do anything about is, it's amazing. And I, I, um, I don't know. I've spent a lot of time with elderly people, especially elderly women. And it really is amazing how people don't see them. It's heartbreaking, isn't it? And it's sort of just a thing that we've done. We just said as a society, we don't value you as much anymore. Or we, we've relegated moments to value you. Yes. You know, like, Holidays. Well, we had Christmas. We had Christmas with her. What more does she want? Right. It's like, well, there's Wednesday that isn't Christmas. You know, like she's, she's still there. <laughs> yeah. You know, she didn't just go away and like sit in a box between now and Christmas. Yeah. So I don't know. I like the idea of, um, cause you, I, I don't know. I didn't realize you, you weren't acting. I thought you were like in the middle of doing stuff. And I mean, you seem at peace with it, which is, I love that. No, I'm not. not. That's why I'm in classes. (laughs) Well, I mean, like you were saying you're at peace with the the not making money out of it. Oh, yeah. Which is its own piece, you know. Mm -hmm. But like you're you're actively seeking something creative and you're talented. So, and you've you've got like a whole other thing in education in this. Did you end up getting your degree? Do you have a degree? Yeah, 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 yeah. in communications and um, theater, yeah, theater communication, theater, because yeah. uh, I transferred and um, right. yeah, Meisner that sort of consider that my graduate degree, even though it's technically yeah, yeah. So okay. you're you're very you're well educated, you're talented, and uh, you're driven, but you're feeling unfulfilled and shit, man. There's so much out there, you know, like, and you've got the biggest inspiration in the world sitting. I know. In your inbox, probably right it's now. Got to do something with it. Read. Just got to start collecting stories. I mean, that's really where it starts. Even if you don't know what shape that's yeah. going to take eventually. Well, count me in if there's anything I can chip in on that. Oh yeah. Um, oh god. Of yeah. course. I mean, you've I'm, been I'm doing this much. kind of stuff, so I feel like you'd have lots of val- valuable mm-hmm. information about how to put it together. I'm a, I'm a hoarder of stories for sure. I'm very keen on on hearing them. I really like them. So yeah. Well, I know we got to got to get off. Let's let's say goodbye to the podcast, and we'll exchange some information and stuff like that. Sounds but good. Thanks, thanks for doing this. Yeah, thank you for there, having well, me. Feel honored. Uh, I was like, well, I don't before, know what we're going to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't either. <laughs> well, I knew some things. That's not true. I knew I wanted to talk to you about something. Um, but before before we sign off, is there anything like? Do you have a poem that you've memorized, or anything that you want to say, or the, like a? Okay, here's what I'll do. It's Peggy Cobb related. Something she's always said, and I'll add my addendum to it, is furnish your mind well, and you'll always have a comfortable place to live. And I would include furnish your mind and body well, and you'll always have a comfortable place to live. So that's my motto. It's beautiful. Spoken like a true former Pilates instructor. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Cool. Well, thanks, Mary. Thank you. I like lazy days Can't be blamed for having lazy ways Some old lazy river Sleeps beside my door Whispering to sunless Kind of Throw away your trust in my green bread.
Mary, one of my favorite poems by W.B. Yeats is this. Uh, and this came from a true story. This just really happened. When you are old and gray and nodding by the fire, take down this letter and slowly read. Think of the soft look your eyes once had and of their shadows deep. And know that one man loved the pilgrim soul within you and loved the sorrows of your changing face. Then love fled. It paced the mountains overhead. It hid its face amid the stars. Hey friends, did you like that episode? I sure did. If you're enjoying this program, you can support it by giving us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you have the opportunity to do so. You can also send us a note at rbwpod.com forward slash contact. We'd love to hear from you with any questions, concerns, requests, story ideas, recipes, bogus fortunes, or apolitical rants. As always, if you got a story to share, we want to hear it. Wishing you and yours the very best of everything and less than average amounts of bullshit. Until next time, loving you.